0: Jesus is continuing this discourse that began in the region of Perea, and as we come to chapter 16, he's going to give several examples of why eternity should be your focus, why you should be concerned and why I should be concerned primarily about eternal things. And I know many of you have come today and some of you are disillusioned, some of you are downright depressed, some of you are joyful, some of you are happy, some of you are sad, some of you are wondering what's going on in our nation, in our world, some of you have probably every single emotion imaginable running through your heart and your mind right now. I'm here to tell you that the answer to all of those conditions to see joy properly, to see sorrow properly, to understand why we might be concerned and to understand who is the one who can conquer those concerns the answer is not here, it's in heaven. It's eternal and the king has not changed who he is. He's still enthroned in the heavens. We have the most glorious privilege as the body of Christ to see things clearly, to see things correctly While the world is frittering away, we're approaching that time when we can say, even so, Lord Jesus, come. Jesus again speaks to his disciples in verse one. And he said to them, there was a certain rich man who had a steward. And an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. And so very clearly here, In view is stewardship, and as the body of Christ, we are stewards of the things of God. Everything we have, all that we own, everything we possess is actually His. He owns the sheep and the cattle on a thousand hills, the gold and silver in every mine belongs to the Lord, the earth and the fullness of it, the scriptures declare, are God's. Everything is his. We are simply stewards over God's things. That's money, time, talent, treasure. It's physical resources. It's also the resources of our minds. It's the resources of our thinking. It's every resource. And so he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship. For you can no longer be steward. And then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. Now I want you to notice what he says next. This is a guy who appears to be waiting for a management position. What shall I do? I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I've resolved what to do that when I'm put out of the stewardship, that I, they might receive me into their houses. And so he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe the master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And so he said to him, take your bill, sit down and quickly write 50. He said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill, And write 80. And so the master strangely commended the unjust steward for his shrewdness, for acting shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I want to draw your attention to why this passage, I believe, is so important for us today. We live in a nation... And really, in a world, but very specifically in a nation that is obsessed with riches and the accumulation of those things that we might call wealth. Absolutely obsessed. And while money itself, and God's word is clear on this, money itself is effectively neutral. It's neither good nor bad, it's what you do with it that matters. It's what you do with your resources that matters. It's not that those things are bad. It's not bad to have a huge house. It's not bad to have a nice car. It's not bad to have a bank full of money. It's not bad to have investments. It's not bad to have any of those things. When it becomes a problem is when we start trusting in those things instead of trusting in the true and the living God. That's when the problem begins. And so we have before us a picture of what the Apostle Paul really described as he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. And he said, therefore, the love of money, notice what it says. It doesn't say money. It says the love of money is the root of, it's the source cause of Of all manner or kinds or varieties, you might say, of evil. It is the love of money. It is taking the agape that we should give to God first and to each other second and placing it in something else. That was the condition of the people. That's what was going on then. And I believe it's what still goes on today we have begun to value things. Those things are not necessarily bad, but if we value them more than we value God and his chief objective, which is to love people so that people will love each other, if we value things, including our affiliations on this earth with certain groups of people, If we value anything, you might say, it can become a new form of mammon, which Jesus will address next. He's saying, you must love me supremely, then love other people, and then you will have the right view of things like money and possessions. But if you don't, if you put it in its wrong place, then before you know it, You have a different God. So, we have a tough parable before us. It it was a picture, I think, of our world today. Notice the certain rich man that's the center of this. No condemnation is given against the riches, it's what's done with the riches, how they're kept. What happens to them and with them. Notice he was wasting or squandering his master's goods. This is so important for us today. As I look at my own family, as I look at us as a church, as I sit here today and I think about all the things that are going on, I have to take responsibility for my own family. Leadership begins with you. I believe our country right now is a reflection of our collective desires. And apparently, right now, our collective desires are pretty divided. The problem is we've begun to love other things rather than people for whom Christ died. And so this steward is asked some difficult questions, and it makes for a tough parable, quite frankly. Because there's really nothing wrong, if you will, with being clever. There's nothing wrong with riches. It's not necessarily bad to be shrewd in business. Those things aren't evil in and of themselves. But look what these things have done to this man's heart. Look what's happened inside of him because of this. He begins to say, well, you know, I can live off the the remnant of my master's riches if I just give everybody a discount. How many people in our world have discounted who they are in Christ to buy into a system that cannot save them? How many people have hitched their wagon to a political party And I'm not speaking of one or the other, both. How many people have hitched their eternal wagon to something other than Jesus? And so what we have now is dueling wagons. Instead of us being unified in Christ, we're torn apart in where our allegiances lie with things in this world. Because when we get to heaven, there will be no red, there will be no blue, there will simply be us, all of us. There won't be Republican, there won't be Democrat, there won't be rich, there won't be poor. That's how God wants us to live while we're here we're supposed to so love each other that our love transcends the difficulties it doesn't cause us to harm and hate it doesn't cause us to lose our minds it doesn't cause us to begin to say insane things as if they are the solution i have been saying for months no matter who wins the election jesus is still king He's still king, and he's still the only savior. He's the only one that can save anybody, no matter what their political affiliation is. If we don't get that right here, church, if that's not true here, it will never be true out there. We're the ones that need to show the world what it's like when we disagree how to disagree agreeably. When we have differing opinions, how to take those differing opinions and come to a common conclusion that works for everyone. That's a Jesus view. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost, not further cause people to be lost. And so, this is another example of Jesus speaking into our culture and into our time. Notice what Jesus said. He didn't say that the children of this world are wiser than the children of light. He said only in their generation they think of themselves they're more wise than people who know the Lord. It's simply not true. And so Jesus focuses in on eternity and we're going to see why as we pick up in verse nine as Jesus gives us a clear and concise way to understand these things and we need to be clear and we need to be concise. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Obviously, Jesus is speaking facetiously here, saying, see how that works out. See how if you give away your standing in Christ to this world, see if that's going to work for you. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust will be what is least in unjustness, and he will also handle that extremely. That's how the New Living Translation puts it. It's like when you're on one extreme or the other, that's your extreme. If you're unjust, you become more unjust. If you're righteous, you become more righteous. If you're faithful, you will become more faithful. If you're unfaithful, you will become more unfaithful. This is the picture. And therefore... If you've not been faithful with unrighteous mammon, there's that word. In Hebrew, it simply means money or wealth. The rabbis extrapolated that out to mean virtually anything and everything that could be possessed. And then they went on to even further extend it, to, to use it as a secondary name for Satan himself. If you haven't been faithful with unrighteous mammon, Who will commit to your trust the true riches? In other words, the things on this earth pale in comparison to eternal things. Why would God entrust to anyone eternal things if you can't be faithful with the temporal things? Is the picture. And so he says if you have not been faithful with another man's, who will give you what is their own? No servant has, can serve two masters. And here it is. Here's the truth condensed. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, riches, wealth, any other thing that makes up life. There's a three-fold application to this story. The first two are very simple to see. And it's really just a matter of money itself, riches itself, a synonym, if you will, for those things which we have control over as stewards. It's interesting, Jesus uses this term, term steward. It means an overseer. It always implies that someone else actually owns it and you're managing it. In other words, you're managing the Lord's things, and so am I. So are we as a church. Every once in a while someone will come and they'll say, wow, you have a really nice church and they're actually looking like I own this building. No, it's God's. Technically, if you want to look at it from even from the technical standpoint, it's owned by a 501c3 tax-exempt religious corporation called Calvary Chapel South Bay, Inc., which isn't owned by anybody save the Lord. It has a president and a board, but nobody owns it. It belongs to God. It's the Lord's. This building is the Lord's. Your car is the Lord's. Your house is the Lord's. Your bank account is the Lord's. Everything on this earth actually is his. It's all his. You see, we have a tendency to look at things. Well, I'll give God this much of my life but I'm not so sure about giving him the whole thing. And to that end, notice verse 10, that it becomes a matter of management. Who manages your life and everything that's in it? Who's the final authority? And this is so important, because if you are not faithful with the least, it's very likely you won't be faithful with much either. If you can't be trusted with a little, then why would God give you more? That's the picture. And so as you look at the world today, you kind of wonder why you see the decline of the church in America. Why is that? I believe because a lot of the church has been unfaithful with what God's given them. It's been used to pay for incredible things that have nothing to do with the kingdom, there's a lot of stuff going on in this world that doesn't honor the Lord and the church is dead in the middle of it. We're basically saying, Lord, thank you for giving us everything but we really don't want you to have anything to do with it. We have to be faithful to the calling that's been placed on our lives. And this principle especially here applies to money or wealth or riches but it really extends to everything. We are stewards, as 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says... Of the things of God, divine things. And that is a powerful, powerful principle in our life and our living. You see, when I have resigned to the fact that everything is God's, I look at it differently. When I take what I have and I say, Lord, this is yours, it belongs to you. I don't have any right to tell you what you want to do with your stuff. And that includes everything from my own family's abilities, the gifts, the talents. It also includes the treasure. It includes the time. Do you realize that you are stewards of the minutes and hours that God himself allotted to you? That's why doing wasteful things that have no kingdom purpose are so tragic. Those minutes, those hours cannot be recovered. You get them one time. And what you do with them matters. What you do matters. Let's be honest. We know what the Bible says. Christ's kingdom is going to come when the king comes. We want to have godly rulers. That's an absolute fact. It should be the prayer of every believer. But the fact of the matter is, this earth is not the answer to eternal things. Christ is the answer to eternal things. If you transform the heart of man, then the mind of man and the money of man, and the talent of man, and the treasures of man, everything man possesses If you transform the heart, then everything else follows the heart. We're going to see that as this passage concludes. So if you see things this way, the way God sees them, the way we should see them, then it's going to prevent a couple of things in your life. One is the pride of ownership. We are so keyed in to, to be in essence prideful of the things that we possess and it's so silly it's really kind of foolish it's like no matter how much you have you think god's got a little more than you no matter what you possess on possess on this earth do you think you're ever going to be well you know i'll just leverage my stuff and put god out of business you see the world says I'm just going to absorb that little company. I'm going to buy them up and I'll take them over. That's kind of, we let that transition into our spiritual life. I'll just be about my own business and I'll make sure everybody sees things my way. I am the agent for the king. I'm supposed to help other people see things God's way, not my way. I'm supposed to cause people's hearts to be inclined to heaven not inclined towards this earth. Because this earth doesn't have the solution. This is an eternal issue. And money's not eternal. And so this illustrates a point for us. And this is a true story. I've altered a couple of facts. Both these people I know. But imagine for a moment that there's two boys... And they're roommates at a Christian college. They're friends. They go off to college together. One leaves in the middle of that biblical education and goes off to a little more liberal atmosphere, liberal arts college, gets an MBA, becomes a successful insurance agent. They don't meet for another almost 35 years. One summer, while driving home, they happen to find themselves in exactly the same town. Finally, make contact and say, Well, could we get to, you know, why don't we get together and, you know, have dinner or something? And they do that. They meet at a nice restaurant. One stayed the course, became a pastor. The other became a businessman. One was on his third marriage. Which actually wasn't a marriage. He was living with a woman that was half of his age. And the pastor said, You know, what's, what's going on with you and God? And his friend looked at him and said, Well, I, if you look in the parking lot, I'm driving a Mercedes. My wife has a Jaguar. Our home's worth a couple million dollars. I have at least that in the bank. I have a place at the beach worth another million dollars. I have a place in the mountains, little place, it's only worth half a million dollars. Why do I need God? Why do I need God? Less than a year later, that man died of cancer. It's gone. And every bit of his wealth was absorbed in the payment of the debts owed against all of that stuff. So he perceived himself to be very rich and not in need of God. And yet the one thing he couldn't purchase, God gave him freely, which was life. And then as God does, he calls us home. And we do not know the day or the hour when that will happen. We don't know the minute. And so you can get the picture here. Which would you rather be? The one who had eternity in view? Or the one who had their possessions in view? Which one do you think? was truly the most fulfilled. You see, our problem is, just like this man, is sometimes we don't have the right need in view. And so it becomes really for us a question of, who's your daddy? Check it out. No servant can serve two masters. You can only have one CEO of your corporation called you there's only room at the top for one you'll hate the one, love the other or be loyal to the one, despise the other you cannot serve God and mammon what a simple principle is that you're either going to be governed by that which is spiritual or you're going to be governed by that which is carnal and temporal that's the truth You're either going to have God ruling your corporation, reigning over it, giving final discussion and input into it, or you're going to have the world doing that. And if it's that world that you turn to, then what you have here is all you will ever have. Because that kingdom is temporal. It will not last into heaven. And when you die, it's dead. The one with the most toys who dies doesn't win a thing. Nothing. When you get to heaven, you're not taking a single thing you possess here, there. Not one thing. The only thing that can translate to heaven are those souls which have been affected by you as you have used God's resources as a faithful steward. Those things make it to heaven. It's not going to be your cherished vehicle. This is going to be your home. It's not going to be your photo albums of your vacations. And please make no mistake, I'm not saying any of those things are bad, they're not. But they're temporal. God gave you richly all things to enjoy, but they're for here. Who is your CEO? Who is it that you serve today? Who is it that we serve today? Because the world is crying out for us to serve all kinds of other things, to get ourselves all worked into a frenzy over lots of stuff. There's plenty of choices for an alternate to God. And I pray no one here today is thinking of honestly choosing that. Would you notice with me verse 14? Our final verse. Now, remember who the Pharisees are. Outwardly, they are very religious. Inwardly, Jesus will tell us they are as dead men's bones. Whitewashed sepulchers. They look good on the outside. They attend church all the time. You might say they're some of the most religious people that you'd ever meet, but notice where their heart actually was. Notice what Jesus said is applied to them. And now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things and they derided him. This word derided that's translated in English, derided, is used only twice in Scripture. Here and for those who mocked Jesus on the cross. It's the only two places it's used. It means to scoff. It means to disrespect. It means to hold in contempt. It means to have such a viewpoint as to believe that the other person should be shouted down. Not allowed to even speak. It's to turn up your nose at the teaching of Christ on the cross. At its highest usage, it is those who looked at Jesus and wagged their heads and flapped their lips If you're the son of God, then you pull yourself down off of there. You see, it's very clear what Jesus is saying. If you allow something else to be God, it can cause you to forfeit the ability to even see the goodness of the Lord in the salvation that we have by grace and through faith in Christ Jesus. It can become your God. That scoffing. That trying to point to something else as savior. And whether that's power or passion, possessions, politics, outright wealth, insert what you will. Anything. Church, anything that becomes first in your life and is held above Christ is not just dangerous, it could be eternally fatal. There should be nothing between you and God save the man Christ Jesus. Nothing. Not culture. Not heritage, not politics, not nationality. Nothing, nothing should be above Jesus. Nothing. Everything we do, all that we think, everything we are, what we possess is holy because of him. What I have, I have because there is a good God in heaven who loves to give good gifts to his kids. All that we have that we call freedom in this country, while certainly not free, is also due to the fact that God Almighty rules in the heavens. It isn't because we have a certain type of democracy That's helpful in a practical sense. It is because Jesus Christ is Lord to millions upon millions of our citizens. And so we have affected our nation through our life and living. But if we lose sight of who King Jesus is, Then maybe we're going to put something else there collectively. And that is a tragedy of monumental proportions. We must not let anything stand between us and heaven. The one mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. He alone is worthy of our praise. No amount of money, is going to be worth the giggles you might have of shouting somebody down, getting into some argument, putting something other than Jesus first. And so I pray, church, we have an opportunity to shine right now, to stand boldly for Christ. We can disagree on all kinds of things. That's okay. Okay. But there's one thing we must agree on, and that is Christ alone is Savior and Lord. Amen? Amen? Would you stand with me? And if you're here today and you have not, you've not received Christ as your Savior, you've not invited him into your heart, we have a team of prayer warriors in the back, of our outdoor sanctuary that would love to pray with you, lead you in a simple prayer of acknowledging Christ as Lord, Savior. Put him at the top. Everything else will be okay if you'll do that. You can get through anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Not most things or some things, all things, including get through this time of difficulty we, we can get through all things in Christ. Let's turn our attention to him and not get caught up in the things of the world. Father, I thank you for these beautiful saints. Or we thank you for the power of your word, and Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive us, forgive me. Forgive the church in this country for getting distracted and putting our eyes on other things other than you. And so, Lord, we ask you to strengthen the church for the cause of the gospel, for the purpose of your kingdom, for the power of your truth, and that we worship no one save you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I I profess you are the Lord of my life. You're the head of this church. And we worship you. And so we turn our attention to you as we wake up tomorrow morning and we're still wondering how all these things will pan out we need to go one place and that's to your throne of grace you'll give us mercy you'll help us to figure these things out in a way that glorifies you Lord your spirit is able to accomplish all things and so we bless your name we invite you to transform us into an army of people who will love and who will obey what your word says in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.